Welcome to Bill Bronchick's Real Estate Investing Podcast. Mr. Bronchick is an attorney, best-selling author, and a real estate investor with 25 years' experience. For more information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com. Okay, so today um, I wanted to talk about seven factors affecting real estate in 2023 that we need to consider as uh, real estate investors that affect our business. And these seven factors are probably going to be in play for a better part of this year, maybe even next, and maybe even some of them into the year after that. We just got to watch what goes on. You know, most of the time with real estate, it's supply and demand, what's going on in your local market, how many houses for sale versus how many buyers there are. And that's the main thing. But these are our national factors that are affecting everybody in 2023. So I wanted to talk about those as they apply to us nationwide as real estate investors. Because I realized that there are people listening who are in different markets than mine in Denver, Colorado, um, or maybe investing in different markets all, all over the country. So there are factors that'll pretty much apply to most markets. So number one is inflation and interest rates. And that's, you know, probably one you expected to be on the list. Um, in response to inflation, as you know, the Fed has raised their rates um, and higher rates have led to uh, higher mortgage rates. Not always that happens, by the way, because the, the mortgage rate is based on the long-term bond yield. So um, short-term interest rates do affect credit cards and loans uh, for cars and things like that, or consumer loans, but not always mortgage rates. But we have seen mortgage rates obviously go up accordingly with the Fed raising their rates, but not every time. But generally, much higher mortgage rates means less buying power, which thus leads to decreased demand for housing by consumers. And that's, you know, back to my original discussion, supply and demand. Um, demand factors are sometimes local, such as uh, the number of people moving in versus out, or the job market that people want to move in or the lifestyle. But sometimes it's a national factor like interest rates, and that's the case here. Um, the second thing I want to say about that is inflation can work to your advantage because um, inflation causes rents to go up if you're a landlord, which is a good thing. But on the flip side of that, the cost of goods to maintain and repair your rentals have uh, have increased um, accordingly, and that um, becomes a problem when we need to fix things and we can't get parts or we have to pay someone in an emergency and there's lack of, also a lack of uh, um, people working in this country. So uh, the contractors you can get on the phone that have workers who show up are charging top dollar. Um, that's not one of the seven factors, but maybe it should have been is the the employment issue you know just we're underemployed as a country and i know the the employment rate is very low as a number but the participation rate is is much lower than it's been in years um so the number of people working is actually dropped over the last few years since covid um but inflation also does hurt rentals to some extent because it's gotten so expensive to rent a property that a lot of younger people especially are, are moving with their parents instead of renting or they're moving with friends and doubling up. Um, and a lot of people in single family homes are doubling up families. So um, that's led to, believe it or not, nationwide decrease in the, in the average rents. Now, 
that's a little skewed because you're counting high end and low end in that factor. And there's been a lot of AAA apartment buildings built in the last four or five years that is that is uh, is is skewing the numbers a little bit. I think those high end apartments have dropped. Maybe you know their rents five percent or ten percent, which makes the overall number down a few points. So when I say rents are down, they're not down significantly. They're down just a couple of percent, but they had been increasing every single month for the last you know three or four years. So when the headlines say you know uh, big halt in rents and rents are collapsing, they're talking about a change. Uh, of instead of going up a half a percent a month, they went down a few percentage over the last six months. But it's nothing really to worry about as a landlord. There's still plenty of renters out there compared to how many properties there are for rent. Um, but a lot of people are doubling up. Or a lot of millennials and younger people in their 20s are, are moving in with their parents, either temporarily or maybe you know doubling up a one bedroom with two beds and a room. Uh, in a big one bedroom, and there's a lot of that going on you know, in response to rising rents. So, um, you know, that that has slowed the increase in rents in the lower end of the market, which is doing very well rental-wise. And probably that trend will continue, but I think I don't see a scenario where on the middle to low end rental market, um, income-wise, we're going to see dropping in rents. Uh, there's just too limited of a supply and too much demand for it. Um, number two is geopolitical risk. Um, so obviously we got the Ukraine-Russia debacle causing supply shortages, causing energy shortages. And of course, we're spending you know something north of $100 billion on this. Um, and dare we ask for accountability on that, then, you know, they call you a Russian spy, <laughs> but that's another issue, but more spending, you know, hundred billion dollars here and hundred billion dollars there, it starts to add up and that leads to more inflation. Um, so, you know, the same thing with China, China, you know, has a threat of war with Taiwan, which could lead to us getting involved and spending more money on military and more inflation. Uh, plus, you have China's, China's lockdown COVID policies causing uh, more supply chain issues, again, back to number one. So, you know, the geopolitical risks are something that play into these factors. Um, uh, issue number three, workplace changes. So um, we know from COVID has really changed the world, not just temporarily, but permanently, where people more people are working from home and telecommuting and Zooming. It's become more of the norm. Now, it's it's not as much as it was a year and a half ago, but it's still significant, so, which means that there are less demand for office space. If you're in the office rental building uh, business, uh, you're in trouble because a lot of businesses are going, well, you know, we have 22 employees and half can work from home. We only need half the space. So they're not renewing or they're going to smaller spaces or they're going to totally virtual Um you know, not everyone's Elon Musk and insists on everyone goes to work. They're seeing that telecommuting works. I mean, even my, you know, people work for me, telecommute, you know, half the time and it works just fine as long as they get their work done, you know, uh, who cares? Uh, so we have less demand for offices, more demand though, for suburban and super suburban or rural real estate, because people say, you know, why do I need to live 10 minutes from my office or 20 minutes from my office? I can live an hour if I only have to commute two or three days a week. So what we're seeing is now these smaller towns outside of the suburbs are starting to boom. So that's a trend that we should be taking advantage of, I think, will continue. Uh, the people say, hey, I'd like to live on a nice house on acreage, you know, in a super suburban or, you know, semi-rural area. 
And then what the heck, I'll just commute. Or if you're self-employed, you know, you, you hardly ever commute to work. Um, so now we have less demand for inner city housing. So the, the downtown, you know, high-end apartment buildings are the ones that are suffering and condos and things like that in the, you know, the closer to downtown areas, people are fleeing back into the suburbs where for since like 1990, everyone's been going away from the suburbs into the cities. Now that trend is reversing again. You know, they went, they, they fled the cities for crime in the 70s to the suburbs. They fled back in because cities were rebuilt. Now they're fleeing again because of crime again, too, uh, not having to worry about commuting and realizing, you know, hey, uh, I, I could Zoom and, and do my business from wherever. So um, we're seeing that as a permanent change in that and how that affects real estate. And people are also, um, you know, spending money on their homes, you know, they're building home offices. I mean, if, if you were in the closet factory business and you built people, you know, uh, home office uh, type desks, you know, with bookshelves and all that, that's a great business to be in right now because people are working more from home and they want beautiful home offices. Uh, number four is the supply change disruption, which we've touched on with some of the other ones, but you know, generally that's just going to make materials for building houses or repairing houses more expensive. So um, builders are not just um, raising their prices because of lack of supply, it's just because it costs them more. And the challenge of that is, you know, the cheapest part of building a house is the house itself. A subdivision is expensive. You have to buy the land. You have to get the permits. You have to build the roads. You have to put in the sewers. And then when it gets down to it with two by fours and drywall and uh, nails and, you know, why build a 3,000 square foot house when you can build an 8,000 square foot house? You know, they have to build at least three or four or 5,000 just to even break even with today's costs. So the houses are getting bigger and bigger and the lots are getting smaller and smaller so they can squeeze more in. That's definitely going to be something that continues. Number five issue, uh, energy. So uh, energy is causing, you know, the price of everything to rise because everything gets trucked, especially diesel fuel. Um, but it's causing also property and casualty rates to rise, which is an interesting factor there. Because when you rebuild a house or build a house from scratch, um, there's new environmental considerations, you know, efficiencies, of of windows and heaters and HVAC that are new laws in a lot of areas like California where they insist on it, uh, it being efficient uh, or you can't build. So that is causing everything to go up, including you know property insurance, um, and the increase of people working at home puts more demand on the power grid, which costs which causes energy costs to also rise. And of course, you know the more people. Um, you know, buying electric cars, that also puts more strain on the uh, power grid, which causes energy costs to go up. And that's a factor when you're selling or renting a house. People are, are concerned now of, of energy efficiency. It used to be, you know, people would say, um, oh, if I put solar panels or I put efficient windows or an efficient furnish, will that sell my house quicker? And I used to say, not really. Nobody really cares unless they live in Boulder. Right. So, but now people really care because the cost of energy is up 50% in most areas. So efficiency of housing and windows and, and uh, solar panels and all things are all coming into play are all coming into play. And again, so that's going to uh, continue to be an issue. Uh, number six, this is the big one. I think the biggest one is the great housing imbalance. And we have the still a low supply of homes compared to normal. You know, just for example, Denver Metro, 
is was was normally in the early 2000s was 25,000 to 30,000 homes. By 2008, it reached 32, 33,000. It was oversupplied. The market crashed. And then we were dribbling along, you know, from like two, 2012 until 2020 at about five, four, three, sometimes 2,000 homes for sale. And then after this spring, when interest rate, last spring, when interest rates went up and demand went down and, you know, housing supply went up, we went back up to about four or 5,000 homes and, and the media headlines were freaking out on social media and everything saying, oh my God, supply has tripled. Well, it was one-tenth of normal. So tripling is still 30% of normal. <laughs> so it's not that bad. But what's happening is because of the sudden halt in home buying that happened because of the spike in interest rates, a lot of sellers are saying, I'm not dropping my house anymore. I already dropped it hundred grand. I'm just going to take it off the market because I have a 3% loan. I could just rent it out or if I'm living there, I'll just wait it out till next year and see if interest rates drop and demand picks up again. So when now we're back to, and I was just talking to a realtor yesterday who said that housing supply is down in the metro area, down to about 1,600 homes, which is, that's in half of it was six months ago. Um, and even though demand has dropped, supply has also dropped. So I think that's going to prop up prices. I think it's going to be hard to tell what the real values of you know our properties are. You know, there's all speculation that housing is going to drop 20%, 30%, that has already dropped 10% by all these graphs. We don't really know what the real values are until probably this summer, because last year, 2022, people raised their prices 20% from 2021, because from 2020 COVID lockdown to 2021, prices jumped 20 to 30%. From 21 to 22, people marked them up again, 10 to 20%, but they weren't getting it. Okay, uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the spike in interest rates. So by the summer of last year, uh, people were dropping prices, dropping prices, dropping prices, and people thought the housing market was collapsing, but really it was just overpriced to begin with. So a lot of them just pulled their listings. Some of them did drop it and more and sell it, but we really won't know, I don't think, until people who are more reasonable about their pricing structure are putting their houses on the market this year and selling this spring. And then by summer, we'll know what the real comps are. Are they up? Are they down? Are they flat? You know, and it depends on what price range you're in. Okay. But we're still at a very low supply. Um, believe it or not, I was reading this is very interesting. 55%, 55 plus people are the highest demand for rental housing. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because younger people are moving with their family or sharing apartments. So people who are 55 and over are the highest demand for rental housing right now. Think about that. So when you think about what to buy, you know, maybe a, a senior living facility or something like that, or, or a semi-senior, you know, you know, like a 55 and over type apartment building. Um, they, there's a lot of communities like that, but there's not a whole lot of apartment buildings like that. Um, and this is an interesting thing I read on the Commercial Real Estate Institute. We're going to need 4 million new rental units by 2035 to keep up with current demand in rents. 4 million. So there's still a lot of room in, in single and multifamily rentals. I don't think that's uh, a big worry. Um, if you're in the right place, right location, the right niche, and the right price range. And finally, number seven issue is uh, regulatory uncertainty. That's a big thing, especially in my market in Denver, 
where you know the, the Colorado state has issued many more regulations affecting landlords negatively, and especially the city of Denver seems like they're on the war path <laughs> for landlords. You know, they issued uh, um, rental licensing regulations, uh, inspections, and all kinds of new rules and laws limiting what you can charge for late fees and so on and so forth. So um, more regulations uh, on landlords and on builders too. I think that's going to be a trend. Uh, I think rent control is a big possibility in the city of Denver and many other cities. Um, not a lockdown rent control like New York City had from the 70s where they just lock it at some ridiculously low amount, you can never raise it, but some sort of rent control where, you know, they're, they're going to come up with a baseline number and you can only raise it, you know, X percent a year or something like that, you know, some kind of soft rent control, but it, it's certain, you know, certainly possible um, in the, in the more uh, liberal cities, um, more uh, housing and building permits are going to be more limited and conditioned upon things like, uh, environmental factors and or diversity, inclusion and equity kind of thing, you know, uh, that, you know, you can expect that type of thing, especially as long as our uh, current administration is in charge and, and in charge of the housing and urban development department. Uh, and in the cities, the building departments, um, there is, believe it or not, there's proposed legislation in Congress to strip large, like, you know, $5 million companies and up or $10 million companies and up from having tax deductions or tax benefits from real estate from buying, you know, to discourage them from buying up houses. Because at on the one hand, when hedge funds come in and buy up a bunch of rental houses, it's good. It's demand over supply and it keeps prices up. But the bad news is if you're a home buyer, you're getting edged out by a cash buyer all the time. Okay. Or if you're an investor too. So Congress is proposing legislation that would strip those big companies from having the ability to deduct depreciation or take capital gains uh, rates or some, you know, things like that. Uh, I don't know if that eventually gets through Congress, uh, but it's interesting to see the type of things uh, that go on. That could be a statewide thing. That could be a citywide thing. You never know. You just don't know. So there's a lot of regulation, you know, that the government is proposing and, um, you know, we're just going to take a kind of a wait and see. And I think those, are the trends we're to see in 2023 and beyond. Information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com.